Welcome to the Church Times podcast. Try 10 issues for £10 or two months access to our website and apps also for £10. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash new hyphen reader. As the year 2000 beckoned, while some prepared to party, a motorbike courier was busy transferring precious cargo swaddled in damp newspaper to a nursery in Bedfordshire. The Church of England had decided that it would mark the millennium by distributing thousands of yew trees across England. Every parish that requested one would get one. Madeline, this is a feature you've written, um, this week's cover story. It's, um, I must say, I wasn't too familiar with this story, perhaps because of the, what I was doing at the time. I think my A-levels um, wasn't very focused on National Church of England initiatives. But it's, it's a very, um, really interesting, at times amusing and sort of extraordinary story. Yeah, so it was this this idea that um, thousands of yew trees would be distributed across parishes. And I had a really nice chat to um, David Shreve, who has been the director of the Conservation Foundation um, for the whole 20 years. Um, and he was telling me the story of how they went about it and also the expectation that would anyone actually reply to the request. How did um, it come about, this idea? Was it, was it David's idea? I think it was the idea of the Conservation Foundation, which was sort of um, headed up by David Bellamy. And then that got the support of the then Bishop of London, Richard Charters. And, and the church really got behind it. And I think there was this idea that because... It's rumoured that some yew trees in England date back 2,000 years. It is this idea that you could get a yew tree whose parent tree um, was kind of born at the same time as Jesus. Um, so that was the kind of spiritual connection, was that you would um, have a tree that kind of harked back to that time. So that was um, the, the thinking of the church. Um, and then the I was looking back at one of the um, programmes that was used at the Blessing service for these trees at Coventry Cathedral and it was actually a really thoughtful service where they'd brought in um, hymns and readings with some kind kind of connection to trees Um, so they read out um, an extract from the dream of the rood which is a ninth century poem that gives voice to the cross um, that Jesus was crucified on and there was even a special song about yew trees which was written by a guy who kind of specialized in tv jingles I have been unable to find a recording of the song, so if anyone has it, please email us because I really want to hear it. So yeah, it it actually kind of got loads of traction at the time and there were services at lots of cathedrals throughout the country and people went back with these tiny yew trees, which um, some of which are now um, very, very tall, which is really nice to hear. There's an anecdote in your piece that um, I think in Truro Diocese down in Cornwall, it's a bit too far to get them. Did someone have to come? Yeah, on? so they hired lorries to deliver them, but Truro was so far away it was sort of beyond the budget. So David, <laughs> bless him, drove in his car with the yew trees David to, Shreve, um, not Bellamy. to yeah. deliver them. Um, so yeah, it was a bit of a labour of love, really. And he talked about how it sort of took over their lives. So once thousands of people wanted a yew tree, they basically had to go around taking all these cuttings off old trees wrapping them in newspaper, keeping them in nursery and then giving them out in carrier bags to people who are actually expecting, in some cases, a big tree and then being handed a six inch tiny little sapling to take home. Um, so, yeah, it, it was a bit of a labour of love for um, a small number of people. And how was it publicised? This is pre, really, obviously, social media. Yeah, so obviously the Church Times uh, featured it. We were there. And there was a big gathering at Bishop's Thorpe, uh, which the Archbishop of York hosted. 
um, where people from around the diocese came to hear about this project. David um, was suggesting they actually probably just wanted to see the palace rather than hear about the trees. But um, they did go back and um, generate all this interest. And I think he said, you know, they received 2,000 requests and then they kept coming so they had to extend the deadline. Um, and in the end, I think it's around 7,000 that were distributed. And do we know what's happened to those yew trees? Presumably they've grown somewhat. Yeah, so this is the goal of the feature, really, is to find out what became of the yew trees. The Conservation Foundation has produced a really simple um, survey monkey survey, which we've highlighted in the piece. You can just go on and say if you have a tree, um, how tall it is now, what happened to it. And also if it kind of inspired the church to do other environmental activities. So David was saying that it was a bit of a catalyst for diocese to think more about um, creation in the environment and saying that the popularity of some of these blessing services um, was a bit of a wake-up call for some church leaders and bishops who were quite surprised that it generated this level of interest. So he does see it, I think, as a bit of a watershed uh, when people woke up to the link um, between creation and um, and the church. Right. And so if people want to fill in that survey, it'll be on our website? It's on our website, yes. Um, I think it's pinned to our Twitter page as well, and it's the end of the feature in the paper as well. We've written it out there. Um, there's also actually um, a link to the tree register. Um, this was someone else I spoke to, David Alderman. Um, they are interested to hear from you if you have a yew tree branch which you have cut off which people can do they really want to use those to measure the age of yew trees because apparently that's actually better often than other ways of dating yew trees and it's notoriously apparently very difficult to age a yew tree so if you have a yew tree branch contact the tree register and that's in the feature as well the church's annual statistics for mission report has been released madeline davies has written a story for our website Madeline, first, um, just tell us what is Statistics for Mission and why is it significant? So these are figures which are published annually now by the Church House Research and Statistics team. Um, so I think many of our readers will be familiar with them. They basically draw together all the figures submitted by parishes, um, mainly around measures of attendance. So parishes will be asked to measure the number of people who come um, in October, for example. And they're also asked to report on baptisms, marriages, funerals. And um, they're also asked to calculate something called the worshipping community, which is supposed to be a kind of estimate of who might be there on average in a month if sort of not delayed by illness um, or other factors. So that tends to be a bit larger than the attendance figures. And what are some of the sort of headline statistics that, that stood out to you? To be honest, generally, it's sort of expected now that the figures will show further declines. So if you look at the um, graphs since the 60s, really, it's, it's, it's kind of a decline in most figures. Um, and that's continued in the past decade. Um, so most of the figures show a decline of between 10 and 20 percent between 2008 and 2018. So these figures just show um, a further slight decline in most of those figures. Sounds quite depressing outlook, is that right? Or is there yeah. things we can be optimistic about? I think clergy have mixed feelings about the figures. So there are some people who say um, it's really helpful to be transparent and um, to get a sense of where we are. Um, I have seen people from other churches suggest that this is something that the Church of England has taken a lead on in terms of being able to provide this level of detail about numbers. But I know other people 
do find it a bit demoralizing and um i guess repetitive in that it's just a kind of annual reminder that on, on most measures of attendance we are in decline which i think people already know really and something you've drawn out in your story that i think is new on statistics is to do with inquiry and christian basics courses yeah so lately um the department has been adding in extra questions um so in the past for example they've asked about um social action activities um this year they've asked two questions one is around um whether you're running an inquiry or christian basics course so that might be something like alpha or pilgrim and they've also been asked asking whether people do a monthly or at least monthly um activity for young people um, 11 to 18 and um, so those are two new um, figures which appear in this year's report what do the statistics about inquiry courses say is are, are non-churchgoers flocking to them i think so there's a question around what we mean by inquiry or christian basics courses um, so we know that um, around a third of the sample um, said that they did run one that's 4,400 churches about. yeah I thought it was interesting that um, 28%, which was the largest figure or um, a similar figure to Alpha, have said that they run courses which they design themselves. So it's quite hard to know exactly um, who they're aimed at or what they entail. Mm. 28% ran Alpha, 17% the Pilgrim course, um, 9% Christianity Explored, and 30 is just a mix of other courses which could actually include Lent and Confirmation classes. Um, And then overall, two thirds of those churches said that most people who were coming along were already attending church regularly. I suppose often the promotion around some of these courses, for example, Alpha, does seem to be aimed at people who aren't churchgoers who have questions about life. We have looked at figures before um, from Dr Stephen Hunt, and he suggested that 77% of people on Alpha and were actually already churchgoers, and that was a very um, small sample, I think. Um, but perhaps this lends further weight to that idea that they're not necessarily bringing in people sort of completely cold. So they're acting as um, discipleship courses, really, or, or ways for people to deepen their Christian faith that might be there, yeah. or if your child's getting baptised or you want to get confirmed, their ways in. To exactly. Do that. Yeah. So I don't think it's necessary. It's not particularly surprising finding um one of our colleagues pointed out that if a clergy member saw somebody new in the congregation it's the kind of thing that you might suggest as a way into the church or to get to know people or yeah to get more of a grounding in the christian faith so i don't think it's a particularly um surprising finding i guess some of them are those sort of specifically aimed at people who are exploring or we might sort of call them seekers i suppose yeah the Bishop of Oxford, Stephen Croft, he's he's written on these statistics for mission. I mean, he's got a background in fresh expressions, hasn't he? And is, is an evangelist and is cares a lot about um, these matters. Yeah, he was also one of the designers of the Pilgrim course. Yeah. Um, so I think that there's an interest there as well. Um, and one of his points is, even though the statistics um, for church attendance are going down, he says, the hunger for purpose and meaning and love remains questions about life and faith are as deep as ever. Um, So his um, questions are really around um, how we meet people, where they are um, offering unconditional friendship, um, not making assumptions about what they already know, which I guess um, was one of the purposes of Pilgrim, was to um, offer a very um, easy introduction to some of the basics of the Christian faith. And the statistics on youth work, the report said quite a bit about that. Yeah, so 25% of the sample um, were offering youth-focused provision with young people on at least a monthly basis. And I think a key finding there is 80% of those were run by volunteers. Um, So at General Synod in July, there was a big debate around whether we're properly resourcing youth work. 
and questions around really paying youth workers properly, um, variation across dioceses in kind of investment in youth work and at diocesan youth officer level. Um, I know um, someone that writes for the paper regularly, Ali Campbell, has talked a lot about whether we value youth workers as much as we do other sort of forms of ministry, whether we pay them fairly, whether we actually give people a living wage that enables them to remain in youth work as they um, grow up rather than moving on to other sort of maybe more sustainable careers. You can read that story at churchtimes.co.uk and there's a link to the full Statistics for Mission 2018 report. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Church Times podcast. You can find more news, analysis, comment and book reviews on our website, churchtimes.co.uk. If you are not yet a subscriber to the Church Times, you can try your first 10 issues for just £10. You'll get the paper delivered to your door every Friday, plus full access to our website and digital archive. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash subscribe to find out more. The music for this podcast was provided by Sought After Sounds. Tune in next Friday for the next episode.